So let's read God's Word together, Matthew 6, verses 5 to 15. Jesus is teaching. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Well, let's pray for a moment. Our Father, we pray that through this short series on prayer, you would help us to pray, for we all find prayer hard. So help us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you'll find uh, inside the service sheet some notes to help. Let me spend a moment recapping on last Sunday. Number one, honesty. We all find prayer difficult. My intention last Sunday was to try to get under my skin and yours with that collective honesty that prayer is hard. And I've been encouraged by a number of you in conversation and correspondence this week to reassure me that I am not alone in finding prayer hard. Some have spoken honestly to me about the complete absence of prayer in their lives. It's not that they find it difficult, they just don't do it at all. You're not alone. But if that is you, now is the time to put it right. Some spoke honestly, not of prayerlessness, but of fitfulness in their prayer life. I expect that is the experience of many of us. And by fitfulness, they meant long periods in their life as Christians when they just don't pray, months and months. If that is you, you are not alone. But now is the time to reestablish some kind of pattern or rhythm. Others spoke to me or wrote to me about disorganization or haphazardness in their prayer life. Someone said to me that whatever comes into my mind I pray for, but there's no structure and order in my prayer life. And of course, there is rightness in praying for what comes into our minds. We would not want to restrict the Holy Spirit to a certain slot in our diary. But over the piece, I think, their comments spoke honestly of a desire to put some kind of structure and preparation and thoughtfulness into their prayer life, and that's a good thing. Maybe a prayer diary, a notebook, whatever, just to bring a bit of structure 
it is sensible and helpful. One of the comments I made last week that struck a chord with a number of people is imagine if every single time a Christian said, I will pray for you, that they did, or followed it up. Honesty. So breathe a big sigh of relief. You are not alone. I am not alone in finding prayer difficult. And then sincerity. The Lord Jesus warns us against praying to be seen or heard by others in order to impress them. And uh, that comes as a harsh comment, I think, possibly to some of us, a rebuke. But to many of us, I think a, a liberation that we need not worry about what others think about our prayer life. What matters is God. What matters in our small groups, for example, when we pray is that we are talking to God. We need not be concerned about what others think. But, of course, many people are paralyzed in prayer because they do not have the right words or phrases. And so the Lord Jesus says to us, I'm not only interested in your sincerity, I'm interested in your simplicity. Stop using all these big phrases and words. You don't need to do it. Just say please and thank you and sorry and can I and help and I love you and all that kind of stuff that's just table talk. Just speak in real language. Speak in real words. I um, have lost my little red book that you sometimes see me using at communion. And so this morning, we gathered around the Lord's table, and I just used words to describe the Lord's supper, the communion, that were ordinary. That's all right, isn't it? And when we pray, we don't need to use special phrases. Just need to pray to God, who's our Father. And that's liberating, isn't it, as well? I'm still a bit afraid. Simple words. And then priorities. Notice uh, verses 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom, your will. God first, then us, give us, forgive us, lead us not. You see the rhythm in the Lord's teaching and prayer. God first, then us. God first, then us. There's a great principle for the Christian life. There's a great principle for our prayer life. God first, then us. It's not that us is not important. It's not that the back end of this prayer, give us our daily bread, forgive us our debts, lead us not into temptation, is unimportant to God. But God first, first. Your name, your kingdom, your will. And then finally, by way of recap, pattern. This uh, teaching on prayer here is not so much a prayer to, be, prayer to be prayed. The reason we don't say the Lord's Prayer often in our church services is that primarily it is not a prayer to be prayed, although it's a good prayer to be prayed, and we will uh, look for opportunities to do it from time to time. It is primarily a pattern for praying. So you get in your head what hallowed be your name means or your kingdom come. And then you allow that to be amplified in your prayer life. So if I can be really practical about how we might structure our prayer lives, 
And uh, there's no legalism here. There are many other ways to structure your prayer life. But how about Monday to Saturday? You had a section for hallowed be your name. And once you understand what that is, you just have a way of praying for that theme, Monday through Saturday or whatever. That's the uh, point here. It's a pattern to shape our praying. And this morning, we're going to look at hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Before that, though, let's consider the words, our Father in heaven, who we are praying to. So in your uh, daily devotions, and uh, if you're not a Christian here, when I, what I mean by that is that Christians will often each day, morning or evening or sometime in the day, just take some time to talk to God in prayer or read their Bibles. So in your daily devotions, who are you praying to? Or in your small group, who are you praying to? Or in our church prayer meetings or on Sundays, as Andy led us, who were we praying to? We are praying to our Father in heaven. Notice first, our Father. Not my Father. Jesus says, our Father. He uses plural and not singular. And we see that again in verses 11, 12, and 13. Give us, forgive us, lead us, deliver us. Prayer for the Christian is family language. And God is our Father and we have lots and lots of brothers and sisters. Now the word our here at the start of the Lord's teaching on prayer is I think there in Jesus' mind that our minds and our hearts and how we think when we begin to engage in prayer is away from ourselves to others. The whole orientation here of the Lord's teaching in prayer is to get us to move in our minds away from me to others. Our Father... Our, not mine, our Father, although he is my Father and yours, our Father orientates our minds to God's global family, to Christians all over this city, for example. And within the context of the church to which we belong, all of you, our Father. Our horizons are expanded, ourselves less our focus. And then the word father is an intimate word that speaks of approachability, confidence, trust, dependence, someone to whom we turn when we are in need who will help us. Now, I'm well aware that uh, human fathers are not always like that. But God as our Father is. So often we caution ourselves against an over-familiarity, a casualness when it comes to thinking about and addressing God. So you'll often hear a preacher saying to people, God is not almighty, he is almighty. We've heard that. And of course it's true. Let me, though, come at it another way for once and encourage us not to lose the intimacy that we have with God. He is your Father. 
He is always there for you. He is around. So often a preacher would say, don't take God for granted. But let me say to you, take him for granted in the sense that he's just always there. Child doesn't need to think, is my father there? He is. But our father is in heaven. Heaven is where God is. And through the Bible, God in heaven is synonymous always with the rule and the majesty of God, his authority. Often the Bible speaks of God in heaven by showing us a picture of a throne. So the God that we approach, who is our father, happens also to be the king of kings. Now, our Father in heaven fuses together intimacy and reverence, approachability, and an audience with the king in combination. Now, how do you fuse together intimacy and reverence? How do you fuse together approachability and royal protocol? Well, you don't, because you can't. What you need to do is remember that God is both Father and King. And never be afraid of intimacy with Him, of coming close up to Him and speaking to Him as a child. But on the other hand, be afraid, for He is your King and your Sovereign. I remember once uh, listening to Prince William when he was 18 or so, in a kind of, when he was quite diffident and shy. And he was asked by an interviewer how he addressed his grandmother. Was it Granny or Your Majesty? And he said, well, both. It depends on the occasion. And that's exactly right. You can't, you can't take both things that she is and kind of splice them together and come out with something that's intimate and reverent. It's both. So here you are on the threshold of your daily devotion or in your house group or a church prayer meeting. Our, my mind, your mind is not on you. It is on others. God's global family. And it's important in the first part of the Lord's teaching on prayer here that our vision and our horizon is as far as it can be. Our God's global family, you, people in your church family, father, intimate, dependent, approachability. And then that little kind of fear bit grips your heart as you're about to have an audience with the king, your majesty. Hallowed be your name. Now, what does it mean to pray, hallowed be your name? And remember, it's a principle So in your prayer life, there's a regular rhythm of praying that God's name would be hallowed. But what on earth does it mean? Hallowed is an old-fashioned word. It's not a kind of word that you use in everyday conversation. It means something like revered or honored or esteemed, valued, praised, given the respect it deserves. 
Hallowed be your name. What is God's name? Well, it's God. But the Bible uses all sorts of names for God, over 70 of them. And it's a wonderful practical aid to your prayer life if you were to know all these names of God, or at least seven of them, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you're off you go for a week of prayerful devotion. And the Bible speaks of the names of God to get our heads around what God is like. So here are some in English, not in Hebrew. God, the eternal, hallowed, revered, honored, praised, be to you, God, for you are eternal. And if our orientates our minds beyond ourselves, hallowed be your name, eternal God, gives you an even greater horizon for who God is. Or promise-keeping God, or all-powerful God, or God who rules, or God of grace, or God our righteousness, hallowed be your name. We revere you, we honor you, we praise you as the eternal God, the God of grace, the God of righteousness. We praise you that you would be seen for who you are and given the respect and honor that is your due. Somebody said to me last week, why do we have to tell God stuff he knows already? So yesterday I played golf with my now 13-year-old second teenager. And I hit some good shots and I said, David, wasn't that a great shot? Son. And he went, yes, Dad, as I beat him another hole. <laughs> it's a poor analogy. God wants us to tell him he's great. That's not a, a casual thing. It, it, it's something that fuses together our childlike reflection on his fatherhood and our subject reflection on his sovereignty. It's both, I think. He wants us to tell him he is all-powerful, the God who rules. He delights in our realization of who he is. For he knows that when we pray our and our horizons are broadened, and when we pray eternal God, all-powerful God, God who rules, when we begin to pray for stuff like that, our vision is where his vision is for this world. So practically, why not take time to find in the Bible the different names for God, just uh, type it into Google and somebody will have done it for you, and use it as a practical help and aid in your devotional life. Secondly, your kingdom come. What does it mean to pray your kingdom come? Uh, I was listening to a, a sermon on a similar theme this week, and the person preaching said, you cannot Ask for God's kingdom to come until you first understand what God's kingdom is. That makes sense, doesn't it? So what is the kingdom of God? If you're scribbling, scribble this down. Here's a definition of the kingdom of God. God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. That's the kingdom of God. God's people, God's place under God's rule and God's uh, blessing. And there's a present dimension to that. God's people in God's place 
under God's rule and blessing. What does that mean? It means Chammer's church. God's people, in God's place, a local church, it's what God says we're to do, under God's rule, living by the word of God, experiencing God's blessing, which is multiple. That's God's kingdom. Here we are. Think of this city. Scattered gatherings of God's people all over the city, little churches. God's people, God's place, little churches, under God's rule, experiencing God's blessing. Think of our country. The 2,000 local churches or whatever it is. Think of God's globe. Think of the people and nations of the world that are your brothers and sisters and Lord. You have no idea. Well, you, you don't know them. You don't even know the name of the capital city. Some of you do, the countries they're from. You don't know anything at all. But that's God's kingdom in the world today. God's people, God's place, God's rule, God's blessing. So what does it mean to pray your kingdom come? Think of the expression of God's kingdom here in Chalmers Church. God's people, God's rule, God's place, God's blessing. What do we pray? What do we pray? Reaching, building, training, sending. That is to pray your kingdom come. What does it mean we pray for the churches in the city? That the living churches in the city will remain living churches. That the gospel will be in the heart of them. That they will live under God's rule, the Bible. That they will experience God's blessing supremely in people becoming Christians. When we pray your kingdom come for the churches in the city, we pray that they will be beacons of gospel light. We pray that evangelism will be the point of the arrow that leads them as churches. We pray that dying churches in the city would come back to life. We pray that there will be lots more churches in this city. 2% of Edinburgh's population this morning on a good day might be in church. The weather, though, will scupper that, I suspect. It'll be closer to one and a half. One and a half percent. If 5% of our population are to encounter a living gospel church, there need to be 50 more in this city. 50 more. So what should we pray on Thursday nights in our prayer meetings? Your kingdom come. Please, God, will you help us to have the vision and the nerve and the audacity and the heart and the money and all the rest of it to plant 50 churches in this city in the next 20 years? That's what it means to pray your kingdom come for the city. And people to lead them. And seminaries and colleges to teach them. What does it mean to pray for this nation? Exactly the same thing this week in the Highlands. Something tiny is getting off the ground. Something fostered around the Highland Theological College in Dingwall. A network of churches in the highlands looking to recruit and train a new generation of people under an apprenticeship program run through the Highland Theological College. It's great. That's an answer to the prayer, your kingdom come. And for the nations on the earth, what are we praying? Well, we praise God that 
His kingdom is coming in parts of the world, particularly the eastern side of the globe. They're all going to bed now after a Sunday. And think of it, the, the Sunday has gone and the eastern side of the globe, the other side. And their churches were just chock full of people. Isn't that wonderful? What we need to pray for them is that the kingdom that has come will be established with deep roots. Pray for this vision that we and others have to put seminaries all over China to train a generation of leaders to cope with the fact that the kingdom of God has come so fast. That's what it means to pray this big stuff. And all God wants us to do is to run with our minds where his mind is. This global vision stuff. Now you're going to have to pray for Andy and Maura's visa. I guess that's really quite high up there getting a visa. But let's not pray for that as much as we pray that people will be converted in the school. And as Andy becomes a joiner. Let's pray that Andy will learn Spanish. Not just electrical words. But gospel words, that you can tell him the gospel. That's what it means to pray your kingdom come. It's getting where God's mind is. And uh, when we pray the kingdom come, there's a future dimension, of course, and that is the return of the Lord Jesus, when the kingdom of God will come in its fullness and Christ will finally be united to his bride, the church. Praying, your kingdom come. Now, third, you will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does it mean to pray for that? Well, what is the will of God in heaven? What's going on in heaven now that we are to pray will happen a little bit more on earth now? What does the will of God mean? Now, it's not his sovereignty because he is sovereign over the earth. And sovereignty is not a kind of thing that really goes on in heaven because God is there and everything else is godly there. So what is going on in heaven that's not happening yet in earth and we're to pray for more? I think it, it, what's, what this means is God's kind of moral will, if you like, or how God wants us to live, God's perfect world, God's perfect way of living. And what he wants us to do is pray that his will, his perfect moral will, how he created humanity to live, will happen more and more on earth now. What does it mean? It means that as we pray for Chalmers, this little expression of God's kingdom here in the city, as we pray for the churches in this city, as we pray for more churches and more leaders for these churches, as we pray for the church in the nations of the earth, as we pray for the hundreds of thousands and millions of little churches scattered all over the world, we pray that God's moral will, God's holiness, God's distinctiveness, God's order for how humanity should live would be characterized and evident in all of these churches, and increasingly so. Think of the western part of the world or Edinburgh as a city if it's closer to home for us. What God needs us to be as churches is distinctive living communities of 
faith, full of Christians, Christ-like people. And that is an attractive thing. It's a powerful thing. It's a dynamic thing. That's what it means to pray that the will of God be done on earth as it is in heaven. So you pray that the kingdom will come and there will be many, many more churches. Then you pray that the will of God, God's moral will, his way of living, his perfect order would be seen increasingly in these churches all over the world, all over the earth. And of course, there is a future dimension to praying, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that is when the Lord Jesus returns, the will of God will be done perfectly, morally, in the new creation as it is in heaven. Now, as we conclude, let uh, me uh, spend a bit of time answering the question you'll see on the sheet. What does it mean for a church to pray like this? I said in the first service that uh, I have a dream of what a church prayer meeting uh, should be like. I was rebuked by somebody afterwards and said, um, what are you talking about? You're a preacher. You shouldn't be saying it's a dream. It's just, just how you want it to be. It's fair enough, isn't it? So it's not a dream. Here's my heart for what a church prayer meeting should be like. Imagine Thursday night, okay? Or your small group. One, we all gather together with a degree of collective honesty. So you're in the car or you're on the bus or you're home from work thinking about your small group and and you've kind of come clean with your own heart that prayer is hard and you are not alone, okay? A collective degree of honesty. It's like when you walk through that door on a Sunday morning. uh, I'm fighting to get you to dispense with the fact that anyone ever is fine. And you certainly aren't. And I'm not. So come to your prayer meeting with a degree of collective honesty. That, in fact, you might be at the prayer meeting and everyone thinks you're great at praying, but you haven't really had an devotional quiet time for two years. Honesty, okay? One. Secondly, sincerity. You're in the car and you say to the person you're coming with, you know, I really freak out when I have to pray in front of other people. And actually, it's because of my heart there's a little bit that thinks, I want to know that they think well of me. And you say, well, Jesus is not interested one iota in that. In fact, there's only one ear to bend. It's God's ear. So I'm going to remember that tonight when I'm around the table in my small group. I'm going to remember I'm praying to God. Thirdly, I don't have the gift of the gab, but I can say, please, thank you, sorry, yes, I love you, amen. So I can do it. I can do it. I can use simple words, which is what the Lord Jesus wants from me. And I'm in the prayer meeting, or you're a leader of a house group, and you hear these prayers, and they're great. And people pray simple prayers. Simple prayers. Free of jargon. Free of length. And then, as the prayer meeting gets underway or the house group prayer time gets underway, you pick up from people that consciousness that they are praying not burdened by their own needs, but with that collective plural 
that is our in their minds and in their heads. And their minds are thinking of God's global family or the church family to which they belong or the Christians and the needs of the church in our country or in our city. And then there's a little session on, you know, when you have a prayer meeting or a small group, you have a little section on praise at the beginning, and that's the bit that kind of goes silent most quickly. People scrabbling around to think, what am I going to praise God for? Well, how about the 77 names in the Bible? That's a good start. A little section where a church together or a small group Maybe a small group's a less scary analogy. In your small group, you really get a grip. You know each other well. And you're not bothered anymore what people think about the words you use in your small group. Because you know them, and they know you, and you trust them. And together, you kind of lay hold and grasp the nettle of praising God for who he is. Hallowed be your name. The reputation and honor of God matters to you as a group. And then you begin to pray your kingdom come, that this church here will continue to reach and build and train and send. You pray that churches in the city that are dead will come alive. You pray that there will be many more churches in this city. You pray beyond the human categories. You pray beyond the financial restraints. You pray beyond the restraints of people. And you pray with exactly where God's mind is. Your kingdom come. You pray for the advance of God's kingdom in our nation. You pray for the advance of God's kingdom in the world. You pray that the 20,000 new Christians in China in the last month would find somebody or somewhere that they would be discipled and built up in their faith. You pray that God would oil the wheels, that people like Jason and Rebecca Atkinson would get back to China fast and begin a seminary along with many others. Dominates your praying. And you pray that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You pray that as Christians, as a church, as churches in the city, the country will live distinctively the churches will be shining lights and they will reflect the moral will of God to a secular, sinful world. Now, what happens when churches begin to pray like that? What happens when everybody turns up because it's just really important? Might it be that when churches begin to pray like that, that the name of God will be hallowed more that the kingdom of God will come more and that the will of God will be seen more on earth as it is in heaven. Well, don't believe me. Believe the Lord Jesus. So why don't we? Why won't we? Well, there's a searching question. And with that, I stop because the answer to that is between your heart and my heart and God's heart. So let's pray. Lord, why is it that we won't do this? Well, that's a matter for our hearts before a holy God. We want to simply pray that you would make us a praying church.
a praying people and that we would see the hallowing of your name, the coming of your kingdom and the outworking of your moral will on earth as it is in heaven, increasingly so in our churches and in the churches of this city and in this nation and indeed all over the world. The urgency, our Father, is the return of your Son and the motivation above all else is the giving of his life, his broken body and shed blood, that we might be able to pray for these things and that we might be able to pray for his sake and for his glory. Amen.